Having trusted suppliers is so important for interior designers. Here at Tesuto, we've worked with Trade at Sofa.com on multiple commercial and residential projects for more than 12 years. We love their extensive range of handcrafted, made-to-order furniture and their luxurious fabric selection that makes it so easy to customise pieces for any interior project. And their standard design to delivery lead time of only four to six weeks is a real winner. They will also happily work with fabrics from other suppliers, so the designer's choice is truly limitless. To learn more, please join us at our next live audience recording, Sustainability, Your Questions Answered, taking place at Sofa.com's newly renovated Chelsea showroom near the Design Centre on the evening of Tuesday the 13th of September. Please message us on Instagram for more details. Hello and welcome to the Interior Design Business, the podcast that's produced by the interior design community for the interior design community. My name is Jeff Hayward and today with my co-host Susie Rumbold, Creative Director of Tasuto Interiors, we're examining how to take your client beyond their fears to become the confident client. All designers have them. The clients who are allergic to colour, refuse to listen to the designer's pearls of wisdom, fail to recognise their strokes of genius and only want what they already have. Or worse still, what their best friend already has. This is frustrating for the designer and ultimately leads to boring, greyish, featureless projects. But why are some clients so afraid and what exactly are they afraid of? And how can interior designers help their clients discover their true inner style and be confident in expressing it? Welcome to the Interior Design Business. Today we're joined by leading residential designers and masters of confident eclecticism, Audrey Carden and Eleonora Cunietti, co-founders of Carden Cunietti, to find out how it's done. Before we begin, would you be able to give us a brief introduction into your backgrounds and Carden Cunietti? My name is Audrey Carden of Carden Cunietti. I'm the Scottish side of Carden Cunietti and um, we've been going for 25 years. Eleonora and I had both been working independently as interior designers. We knew each other and, um, and it's quite lonely doing it on your own. So the whole idea was we got together and decided that it would be good to do a project together. And we opened a shop and so we just kind of jumped into it with full force. My name is Eleanor Cagnetti and I'm the Canadian side of Cardin Cagnetti. Audrey and I um, began our business by meeting up at antique fairs. We knew each other personally and then we decided, we did, worked on a project together and then we decided to actually go ahead and open a shop that was halfway between my house in Maida Vale and her house in Notting Hill. Uh, and it was on Westbourne Park Road, not far from the very famous pub, The Cow. And it was a small shop selling a um, mixture of new and old. So we did, we ran our design business from there and also had a little sort of um, shop sh selling home furnishings. So that's our history. Carden Cunetti projects shout confidence and individuality. Do you think some designers attract confident clients or is it that clever designers make their clients confident? 
I think the clients, I mean, they come at you all from all ways. You'll get clients that have been to a friend's house and love it and do want the same house, or they see that the friend, you know, like what it looks like. You'll get clients that are time poor, that want you to do the work and, you know, buy into your kind of confidence or your look or style or what you think that um, house needs for that particular client. Um, so I don't know, I, th I think it's quite difficult to say that we get one or other. I think they just come at you and you have to assess each one. But having a confident client is fantastic. They challenge you and you end up with the best result, I think. What do you think we exactly mean when we say a client is confident? The confidence can also be having confidence in you and us. So I'm, I can think of clients who, as Audrey said, time poor ones, so maybe high-flying executives who really don't have the time to put in for meetings. Um, or even they, they don't even have the creative interest in it. They want their house to not look nice, but actually just completely trust you. So that's confidence. They, they're confident in, in the fact that you can do the job for them. Also probably bring the job in on time, which is maybe the way they see it being you know, maybe the creative side isn't as important, but maybe the finance side or the or the timing side is more important. Um, so there's a, lots of angles that you can kind of hit that with. It it everyone's different. But I suppose what we really mean is that's the con the client having confidence in you. But what about the client having confidence in their own in their own taste? I think that depends on age. When a house is um, a very big expenditure, much more so than say 30 years ago, they can't really afford to get it wrong. They, they don't want to like make a lot of mistakes. So I think um, they could have ideas, but they want someone to hold their hands through the process. But when you get an older client or a client for us, which is great when we've done two or three houses for them, they know that it's going to work. And But they might buy a different house, a house say in Antigua or, you know, in Ibiza or somewhere else and then they've got the they've already done the house in London or they've already done other houses and they're like full-on push ahead so I, I think age and experience of doing houses has quite a lot to do with it. What's the best way for you to really get to know a client and build that confidence with them? You've got to get that time with them to really brainstorm and spend time together to work on the concept because as much as you can sit there and give them ideas they actually really do have to okay it and if they're not kind of there and if their minds aren't focused on it then it's kind of goes nowhere you raise a really interesting point the idea that some clients don't invest enough time in their own projects because they are time poor how can you encourage clients to make sure they do invest that time is there is there a way are there any ways that you can ease that process for them I think you have to give them um, kind of not too much choice and actually I've ha I have people now who have done ho several houses for them they say two or three choices only please don't overwhelm me and you know I steer them away from Pinterest because that takes them down a massive mm. rabbit hole find out the essence of what they want and then say well if you choose if you start with this choice, then that let, lets us choose two or three or four other things based on that. Make your big choices, first of all, and then kind of take it to the next level. You know, if they start focusing in and like, what do the napkins look like on the dining table, then you've lost them. You know, it's like, what kind of dining table? What sort of size? You know, what kind of style? Then we'll look for the chairs. Or, you know, do you, 
pick the major thing and then kind of work it back and don't give them too much choice. So what is it do you think that clients really are most afraid of? I think it depends on the client. I've got some clients that are so wealthy but they don't want to look wealthy. So they want to underplay things. They don't want to have like gold frames and, you know, very like full on, um, you know, they want something that's a bit distressed and a bit lived in in their country house. And so it looks a bit relaxed. Then I've got other clients who want to impress, they want to have parties, they want to have like the full on, you know, um, bells and whistles. It, it really depends. It's, I mean, interior design is such a personal thing. What you're saying then is that they're afraid of giving the wrong impression? I guess the house is their statement, but it depends what their statement is. Just like some people want to be very smartly dressed in Prada all year round, and some people wear country clothes and they have a dog, and you know, it's just really the, uh, an expression of their personality. And the house, if they, they don't want that to be, they, a juxtaposition of what they're trying to, you know, show to the outside world. But if a client perhaps is not very confident in themselves and therefore isn't quite sure what it is they're trying to express through their house and they're worried about what their friends and family will think of that, is, does that ever come up as an issue? Or do you do you sense that in your clients and how do you help them to have that confidence? Run away. Run away. I think that, you know, the only thing that I can kind of compare that to is sort of when they go down the Pinterest rabbit hole because that is the worst thing ever for what we do. I mean, it's good for kind of maybe the start, but it really isn't good because it doesn't give you that, you know, not everything is on Pinterest. And it really, if, 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 if somebody's decision gets molded by that, then they're, they're really, um, they get locked into something. It's being locked into, into and not being open to ideas, I think. That sounds to me like it's the wrong type of confidence. Exactly, because that's what they think is good you know, um, and it's not good, it's so not good. But we've also done some schemes where they've been very, I mean, beautiful, they're quite strong, and then they get diluted, and that is incredibly frustrating because if it's a very good, strong scheme at the outset, and usually that's the one that you should go with, your very first hit at it, but then as the scheme goes and the, they see things coming in and, the you know, they start like diluting it and say oh I don't know that could be a bit dark or I want something that I can live with every day and it, that did happen to me with someone and at the end we just kind of resigned from the job and left it because it was so diluted out that it wasn't going to be a Cardin Cagnetti project. How important do you think it is for designers to present themselves as confident? Absolutely important. Yes you're selling, you're, you're a salesperson basically. I mean that's the, you're literally selling your concept. So every time you do a presentation, you are standing up and selling an idea. So it's all about sales. I mean, I both of us, I think, have a sales background. So I always, it's you know, it's inherent in my brain about how um, of presenting and getting the sale. It's sort of the inner salesperson um, is in there. Do you think designers forget that actually what we do is sales? You do the creative, but then you have to sell the creative. So it's, you know, you've got the sort of fun bit where you're being creative and then you actually have to sell the idea. If you don't believe in the idea, then, you know, and it's quite evident if you don't believe in it, it's going to be hard for you to sell. I think also clients are coming to you for your, um, not just your imagination, but the fact that you, you know, you know how that plan's going to look when it comes into 3D. 
and kind of what I try and get them to do is close their eyes and imagine walking through the space, even looking at 3Ds or like 3D renders. I still think if they can close their eyes and put themselves through the space, it really helps them imagine what it's going to feel like. Do you think this nervousness only relates then to the visual side of interior design? Or picking up on something you were just saying about the client actually walking through the space, do they angst about spatial planning as well as these kind of key yes. punchy features? Yes, I think people are anxious that the bedrooms are going to be too small or sometimes they say, oh, I don't know, we didn't really need such a big bathroom. Like, well, it's the master bathroom. People expect a master bathroom to be big and spacious. I think they do. Definitely, most people can't read plans. So, I mean, 3D visuals are, are good. They can't, they can't read drawings. They say they can, but they can't. So you kind of, you do have to walk through. And that was the joy of Zoom, because when you have someone on Zoom and you have a little, and they can only look at the screen and you share the screen and you have the little cursor, you can take them through that every single bit. Instead of I've had a client and they go, yes, and I go through the door, you're like, well, that's the window. You're not going through that door. That is a window. You know, but when you were doing it on the screen, you could really, it was one-to-one, -one. they couldn't, they, I guess they didn't have anything else, like they were really concentrating and then they could really understand it. Does this kind of lack of confidence only apply to private clients? As long as you hit what they want as far as the brief, it's straight sailing with commercial work. Commercial clients aren't, you know, they're not personally involved. It's not a personal involvement in the project. As long and they've as got a time frame as well. Yeah, right? and it's just, it's yes, it's just not, the same, it's completely different. Unless clients have dealt with a complex project before, most private resi clients will tend to be very inexperienced. I think this comes back to a point that you were making earlier about, you know, depending on where they are in their life cycle. If it's their first big house, can that present a risk to the designer? I think it can, a risk in sort of several areas. Um, one, they might not realise how much things cost. So that's like quite a big thing. And, you know, the knock-on effect of doing a big house, it's like that, the number that you start off with is not the number you're going to end up with. And do they have like kind of extra funds like squirreled away that they can throw at it? And then if they don't, all the funds go into creating the nice big box, but there's nothing in the box for them to enjoy. And so that can be, again, you know, frustrating for the designer and frustrating, you know, because what happens in the lovely words that we've all heard so many times, value engineering, well, let's get rid of the lacquer ceiling or let's get rid of all that wall panelling. I mean, I'm doing a really small pied de terre in New York. Now, the prices in New York are insane. And we had all this like um, walnut panelling, which we've had to ditch because, you know, you would never think that to fit out a one bedroom flat would cost almost a million dollars. And the economics now are much greater <laughs> in the last two years due to various causes that, that we won't mention. Mm -hmm. uh, so those costs have just skyrocketed. I mean, sometimes though, the people that are inexperienced, and especially I guess as we've got older, they just say, well, you've been doing this for years. I'll, you know, you tell me what to do. Or, you know, so they do kind of listen to you. You know, maybe when you were a little bit, even, I don't know, 15 years ago, they kind of thought, oh, well, they don't, they haven't been doing it for as long, but we have been in business. And we've got a lot of knowledge to give to them. Revisions are something that we put a limit in, but meeting time, although you know we can make ourselves unavailable at the weekends, but <laughs> but we don't limit um, meeting times. 
Are there any other precautions that you'd take with newbie clients? Yeah, it's just the money thing, it really is. Just make sure that they know what things cost. What happens then if they don't believe you? Do you at that <laughs> point, you just say, I'm terribly sorry, yeah. I'm not the designer for you? Yeah. Well, once you got, they got our fees to actually design the house and they had 10,000 to spend, <laughs> they know they're not in the ballpark. <laughs> I mean, that usually, but I mean, it's, we don't charge a lot, but it would take a big, big chunk out of their, their budget. If there's someone is like a newbie or whatever, and they, I don't know, maybe it's their first house and they've only got one kid or maybe, you know, it's that kind of future planning. So, you know, most people at the beginning, even before the kid comes, oh, I want open plan, I want open plan. And actually, you know, and lockdown showed this to a lot of our clients. Well, you've got three teenagers, you don't want open plan. You want them all to have a little room that they can go into. I think a lot of people then started to think about, we need to have separate rooms or, you know, oh, let's create a small TV room so we can go away and escape the rest of them. Or yeah. And study areas, you know, yeah. all that. Everyone wants an area where they can work gym. out, a gym or exercise now. You've been to our house, haven't you? You've seen that exercise bike in the living room, haven't you? <laughs> we all know, and this is something you touched on earlier, that clients struggle to read drawings and, and other, other information. Sometimes they can be reluctant to admit it because they don't want to seem stupid. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Why is it important for the designers to realise that this is happening? I think you can tell pretty much straight away. I always get the, the measuring tape out and I make them stand against the wall and I show them where the shower's going to be and where the basin's going to be and go back to where you live now and come back and we'll adjust the drawings. It's your, we're creating a couture house for you. And if you're a bit taller, then why should you have your basin at what was considered standard height? I know equally, if you're a bit smaller, why do you want a basin that's really high? So, you know, this is completely couture. But I think you can usually tell when they don't know Mm -hmm. My biggest trick is when I say, well, you know, you know that's 120. And then they get the tape measure and I'm like, how do you know that? I like, because I know how, what space is. I've been doing it for 30 years. But they don't understand that. And, you know, I've had one of my favourite clients, he's a barrister, I love him, and he's designed his own dressing room and I had to go through every single thing. I was going, remember, there's a structure, so we're going to have to have an extra bit here. So, you know, and he wants to be really involved in it and we've changed a few things. He does understand plans, but um, but yeah, sometimes I think you can tell if people do or don't. I think just walking people through things and really trying to explain it is is the best way. And also for young designers, any young designers now that we take on, most of them that they get taught SketchUp. You know, they get taught these three D programs. I mean, it's gobbledygook to me. I know, but they have to do that. That's part of their education, and more and more, that's what every kind of presentation will be they'll just bring the floors up and and uh, and, uh, and you know a virtual reality you know if you are going to spend three million pounds carrying out a house you know to spend a little bit on the virtual reality of it or have a really good model where the people can walk through it. i mean i think it's one money worth spent at the beginning some clients may have had their fingers burnt through a bad experience with another designer in those circumstances, how can you get your clients to trust you? So if we get approached by a client that has, for instance, fired another interior designer, we will seriously look at that client before we take them on. Because most designers, we would hope that are members of the BID or the RIBA or another association. And if you're a member of those associations, then you have to follow certain criteria and 
it could be that the client's got the problem, not the designer. So uh, that we would always do that. But also, you know, we have taken things on where the client hasn't been very pleased with the designer or what the, the original mm. designer did. Again, that's a bit of an inexperience. Sometimes people just don't really know, like if, when they start out with the person, that they're going to click. I mean, I have got one recently and they started out with an architect that did in-house interior design and just wasn't what the women of the house wanted. You know, they went down the path in good faith and everything was really hard and quite masculine and not the colours she wanted. And so we came in, you know, not to the architect, well, he wasn't particularly happy, but, and she's very happy with her house now. And probably if you asked her, she would say, well, I should have had the architect and the interior designer at the same time. But this is the first big project this particular family have done. What can a designer do if their client genuinely has no or very little imagination? Well, I have one of those and she is fantastic. She is a money girl. She has a personal shopper. Her person, She said to the personal shopper, I need someone that will do my house the way you do my shopping. And um, this girl kindly recommended us and she's fantastic. She's quite concerned about budget. She's exactly like Elle says. She wants the project done on time. But otherwise, she lets you have free reign. So actually, that can be a positive Oh no, I mean, I have a very similar, she's a businesswoman, high flying. You know, some people don't have a creative sense. I mean, you have to, not everybody is creative. Not, not everybody has a creative brain, but they do like nice things. So they, someone like that is a great client because they completely trust you and you just get on with it. And, and you are working to their taste. It's not what necessarily what you would do. So you are taking a, they can give you a brief, but it's not like they're going to be going out and, you know, finding things themselves. They just don't have the time. What about the situation where you're working with a client who might be adamant that they want grey and beige, and that's very much not what you want to deliver? How do you deal with those sorts of situations? I quite like that, because mm. I think that's the challenge. Beige can look, I mean, I've actually done two, um, two houses that have been very beige, because very beige is now. Mm -hmm. um, and then before that, there was lots of colour. We, we, we do have all sort of different mm. projects on the go, so I don't mind that. I mean, at the end of the day, it's the person's home. And we have a lot of repeat clients, clients that come back 10 years later and say, you know, oh, I've got to, you know, the teenage, you know, they're not babies anymore, they're teenagers. And I, I, I don't mind if that's really what makes the person happy. I find it, you know, it's their house at the end of the day. We do work really closely with the clients. Maybe other designers, they have a set style. I mean, if you're Kelly Hoppin, beige is probably your colour style palette anyway. But I mean, we that's not really Cardin Cagnetti. We're very much service oriented to what the client wants or what that house needs. When carrying out projects, I know lots of clients find themselves just overwhelmed by the sheer volume of decisions that have to be made in a really short space of time. Everything from flooring to doorknobs. How do you go about managing and easing that process for them? We do a room by room basis. So generally if it's a whole house or a whole apartment, um, it's dictated by the building, what's required for the building works to be priced. So we'll always start with the bathrooms and then the hard finishes like floors so that that all can be priced up for the, the building contract. And then we just go room by room. It usually starts with what kind of style. Yeah. You know, it's very simple. You ask someone, okay, what's your style? Do you, yeah. would you, do you like having cornice? 
oh no, I find that a bit fussy. Well, oh well, well then we look at shadow gaps. And if you have a shadow gap, you're gonna have a shadow gap skirting. And that then, uh, there's some architectural rules you just have to follow, you know, mm. you're not gonna have like a really fancy cornice and not have a skirting, it's gonna look out of mm. whack. So I sort of try and start trying to figure out what their own kind of taste is. And then, you know, and then as Elle says, you get the palette together, like, are you, just even what the finishes are, are we going to have a stone floor here? Are we going to have a wood floor here? The architect needs to know that f so they can get the levels right, you know, and they can advance their drawings. And then you just slowly build the picture up right down to then when you do like the tabletop or the bed linen, you know, and these are the finishing touches that bring it all together. And a few rules in their house. So we, the rule is that we're going to use silver travertine. You know, that's our stone of choice and we're going to use it in several places so it's not a million different stones and different things. And once they've established a few rules of the house, then they don't, you can always kind of go back and say, but we've already decided that. We've got many more things to decide. Is it panel doors? Is it a door with a router detail? Is it a glass door? Don't worry about the floor, you've got that. There's the lovely sample, we've signed it off, move on. It's a design language for the house that then kind of carries yeah. through and, you, yeah, yeah, yeah. You, and you're making that decision-making process down into kind of manageable chunks. What about understanding the client's pace of decision-making and how that impacts what you do? If you were doing a really large country house project, say that's a two-year from the outset, maybe three, you don't want to get into so much really design until it's needed because inevitably the client goes on holiday, goes to stay in an Amman and says, oh, I've decided I want the bathroom like that or I've been to, oh, I've just been to, you know, New York and I went to this hotel and I loved this. And so, you know, you don't want to waste your time and then have to go back and revisit. So you, you, you kind of have to go at that pace. However, if the client's got six months, like mm -hmm. the job you're doing right now mm -hmm. and has to be in by Christmas, then they've got to pick the pace up. And they can't change their minds. And actually, that is the best job for interior designers. Do you set those rules with the client once you know the time frame of the project? Do you actually say to them, you know, if you want me to turn this around in six months, we have to do this really super efficiently and there will be no going back on decisions? Yeah, try to. But then, you know, when someone says six months, when that builder gets on site, it depends how competent they are, you know, and what they find when they start stripping out. So something could be six months and it ends up 12 months. How much do you have to explain the process of how you work to a client to get them to understand it and work with you effectively? I'm thinking particularly in the decision making. I think you have to explain it at the outset, really. Mm. I, yes, I was getting a bit of pushback from one client going, why haven't we had prices yet? And it's like, well, you haven't made, you haven't really chosen anything yet. So I can't, re I said, the estimate's ready to go with big blanks in it. Once we decide what you're going to choose, once you decide what you're going to choose, then I can price it. Then you'll have a quote. So it's, it's, you know, you're kind of pushing them along and then you're saying, okay, well, if this is your end date, then we need to order by this date. You always say things like that. If, you know, if this is your move in, estimated move-in date then we need this amount of time to order everything and you backtrack that and way. And even more so now you know everything's you know they, they want that sub-zero fridge 32 weeks. What about the, the the sort of I don't know what I want but I'll know it when I see it variety of indecisive client how do you manage them? Well sometimes it's good to, you say to them show me a room you don't like and then you can say okay well right well you don't like that bed because it's a four poster, or you don't like that bed because it's got too many cushions, or you don't like that bed because it's too low and you want a four poster. And you can, you know, if they tell you, if they, it has to be some a few specifics. You can't just, you know, read blank. And again, that goes back to them like, okay, well, 
you know, if you want us to do all these visuals, then that's an hourly rate. And then you send them the bill the first month and all of a sudden they'd be like, oh. <laughs> if clients are paying the designer for ideas and advice, but just not listening, is there a point beyond which you shouldn't push? Depends how long that pushing and that not listening has gone on. We have walked away from jobs where, you know, people don't listen. What do you do if you think the client's making a serious mistake? Sometimes I'd put it in writing. But if they decided to go with like, I don't know, say a porcelain tile over a real tile and you thought it should be a real tile, I will sometimes drop an email saying, look, if you want porcelain, that's up to you. But I do think the real tile or, you know, just if it's a really big thing like that, just so that if it does come back and they say, well, you helped me choose that, you'd be like, well, no, I didn't. Sometimes clients will have a crisis of confidence after a decision has been made. So this is kind of following on from what, what you were just saying. How should designers deal with that? You know, once it's in and they kind of go, ooh, not sure. Well, you not everyone's going to love everything. If it's one thing in a big project, I'll say, usually say, well, you know, that's a pretty good return. If it's like 2% of the whole, I mean, mm. <laughs> we did have someone that was giving me percentages, remember? <laughs> yeah, the bathrooms, they're 100%. The wine cellar, 100%. The guest bedroom, 40%. I was like... I'm an A student, I don't take 40%, but it's quite funny, but yeah. Do you ever go back and obviously add a cost, redo things? Years ago, and they're brilliant, favourite clients, and we recovered a Nimes chair, and it was really not nice. Mm. And I said, I can't leave that in your house, I don't want people coming around saying, did Audrey do that? Mm. And I, we changed it at our cost, and God, how many houses have we done for that family? You know, people appreciate it. And it must be gratifying to see a client's confidence level change over the course of a project when they begin working. Oh, when they yeah. see the things start going in, especially yeah. if they've been quite involved in it, they're so excited and they're sending you pictures. Yeah, no, that's yeah. great. That's, that's when the magic happens, when the 2D becomes 3D. We know what it looks like because it's in our brains, but maybe they don't. So for me, it's always like, yeah, that's what it looks like, you know. I'm kind of like, ew, you know, it's good to see it in person for sure, but it's always still up there. But you do get clients that say things like, oh my goodness, I had no idea it was going to look like that. <laughs> and you hope they're exactly. saying it in a positive way. Sometimes they forget what they've chosen and they'll go, oh, oh, that bathroom's lovely. Like, yeah, well, we designed it and you saw the drawings. Yeah, of course it's going to be lovely. <laughs> what is the greatest satisfaction you guys get from working with your clients? Seeing the job finished. I mean, even though I just said it's in my head, it is really nice getting it all in and seeing it all together and kind of going, yes, it is, I am right, it is in my head and it's all there. Keeping in mind that generally what we do is a very long process. You're talking sometimes years and years and years and years of your life. And also if you've actually pushed the boat out in several places, um, I mean, this isn't built yet. <laughs> We're doing a black swimming pool, all black, all black, all black. And, um, and a metal kind of perforated ceiling. And I know it's going to be gorgeous, but you know, this, this, of seeing that, we've never done that. I've never really seen it in a magazine. I've never, you know, it's like our completely our one-off design. So, you know, the satisfaction of seeing that as a complete unique thing would be amazing. I know that one's not built yet, but can you think of an example where you, another example where you pushed a client beyond their comfort zone and they were thrilled with the result? So we have, they're really nice clients. He was in property. Their style wasn't very, very decorative. They bought this beautiful house in St. John's Wood and um, 
had a, this, the one thing that they didn't change in the whole house was that there was a very dark study that they wanted to keep and it had some very nice um, uh, Macassar ebony panelling which it would have been sinful to pull out but it was a bit kind of dour and, and so we came up with this idea to have a red lacquer ceiling and it was, oh, I'm not sure, I'm not sure about this red lacquer ceiling. And I was like, no, no, go for it. It's going to look great. Please, please, please. And um, so, okay, okay. And I think he thought, well, it's only a small ceiling. If I hate it, we can change it. But they absolutely love it and it looks great. And, you know, so we kind of pushed them to do that and they were they're really happy with it. And, it, and, you know, in that picture of it, it just picks everything up. It makes all the Macassar sing because it's lacquer, you see, the um, light fitting's got a shine on the ceiling. And yeah, no, that definitely worked well. What's the one piece of advice you would offer designers struggling with an over-timid client? I would say take it step by step and walk them through it, really explain and try to get as much, it's almost like get as much evidence. It's almost like you're in court and you're presenting your case to them. Get as much evidence to back up your concepts, I suppose. And also remind them why they came to you in the first place, that that's why they came, to be pushed a little bit. I mean, not completely out of their comfort zone, but to make something that's a bit more unique to them, a bit more unique to their house, a selling point in their house. I mean, all paint costs the same. So, you know, why go, you know, just choose a nice colour that could just be a little bit more of a statement, you know. You've got to paint it anyway, you've got to carpet it, just be a little bit braver. Thanks so much, Audrey and Eleanor, for your time. That has just been the most fantastic discussion. I've really enjoyed every minute of it. Thanks so much, and thanks for being such wonderful hosts. Thank you. Thank you. We do hope you've enjoyed this episode, and please do get in touch on our social channels to share any feedback. We're on Instagram and Facebook at Interior Design Business Pod. The Interior Design Business is a Wildwood production.